Hey, this is Henry Williams from the Lake Elsinore Storm, and you're listening to the Fires on the Farm podcast. Welcome to the Quiet Storm, episode 206 of Fires on the Farm podcast. That was Summer Madness, my cool in the gang, and with me is Roy. I'm feeling a little Summer Madness myself. <laughs> I... Between the hot weather, all these <laughs> roster shakeups all over the place, the hot stove heating up. There's some summer madness in the air right now. You know, uh, totally something way off the cuff. And I just, just as you said, it was so hot. We were up this last week, you guys, and we talked to Rossman Verdugo and we talked to Henry Williams. Later on, we're going to have the Henry Williams interview. But earlier in the week, they had a promotion or they had a, a contest at the Storm game where two kids sat on the dugout and whoever left first, whoever stayed, their section got free tickets for Sunday's game. Both kids stayed, both sections won tickets, and if you saw the attendance of Sunday's game, there was no one because it was like 115 <laughs> degrees. It was just like I watched the game on Sunday and it was absolutely scorching hot. And I so- think everybody in the park won free tickets because of that. <laughs> I'm amazed at those kids. You know, I'd have to get up for a bathroom break at some point. I can't I can't make it that long. And they it was a little like three foot square. I, I'm sure they got up and danced and you know <laughs> interacted with the mascot and the guys, but that was a fun promotion. Absolutely. I sent it off to Ben uh, Benjamin Hill from Ben's Biz and uh and he retweeted it and he thought that was cool. It was what a great what a great contest and to have those both kids. And believe me, when you start talking with the dugout, that's kind of a sweet seat. Like you, it's a pretty sweet seat. And if you're a young kid like that, like, hell yeah, I ain't giving this up. No way. Yeah. Well, good for those kids. So today we've got our major league minute. We've got some minor league news, and then we're going to skip over the affiliate rundown yeah. this week because we have an interview with Henry Williams and he was such an easy guy to talk to that we wound up yeah. talking to him for how long was that? Like 40 kind minutes that we wound up uh, talking to him pretty close. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be running a, over an hour episode today. If we go any further than, but than... but a really interesting guy with a, oh, with a you know, a pretty long story. You coming back from injury and having a good season and all this uh, it seems like an easy guy to root for so now we're hoping we can sprinkle a little podcast mojo on it absolutely and so let's get it on it is summer madness it is the time of the season for madness okay so first off today right before i left work i checked twitter and saw that the padres made a flurry of of moves um luis camposano was reinstated from the 60-day il He's with the club. Taylor Callway, a guy that we've tried to get. I don't know if we tried because I looked to see if we've talked to him before or if he even has any social media. Um, he has none of that. I don't, you know, it's funny how we always talked about getting him on, but we never thought about can we get him in contact with the guy? You got to find the guy first, but we've camp- we've got a campaign for him here forever. on the podcast. Yeah. Forever. So he had his contract selected by the Padres. Congratulations to him. Uh, Alfonso Rebus was called from AAA El Paso, and much to every Padre fan's probably happiness is Austin Nola uh, was optioned and Brandon Dixon optioned to AAA. And the final out that roster, uh, Rodney Odor was designated for assignment. Now I, you know, picking him up, kind of a head scratcher, but kind of a no brainer in the same sense. The Rodney Odor thing came on board got some hits early on and we're like, wow, maybe we're catching lightning in a bottle, but after a while, water will find its own level. And, you know, he, he, he struggled at the plate and they just couldn't find a place for him uh, as often as they could. And do we appreciate the, uh, the, uh, the effort and the, 
the helping the team win as much as you did. Uh, had some pretty cool home runs. We thought he did. <laughs> he had some big moments, but the last few weeks, his bat had gone cold. Yeah. And the last couple of years, he's really been a struggling hitter. So I feel like, like you said, he kind of, yeah, they say you look at the back of somebody's baseball card and eventually they'll they'll show you who they are. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what happened with Odor. So Odor was on an $800,000 contract, kind of similar to Nelson Cruz million dollar contract. That's something that they can kind of write off as, you know, OK, it was a fun experiment and it's not working. So we'll try something new. Um, you know, Matt Carpenter is still on the roster. He signed two years for twelve million dollars. That's not something that's so easy to 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 write off. Right. Uh, but Nola being optioned to triple a, that kind of surprised me. I thought maybe they would try to carry three catchers for a little bit when Camposano came back. So that's, you know, it's a good thing for Nola. There's still a good ball player in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. like yeah. those skills just disappear. Just, you know, go get yourself right. And you'll get another opportunity when the time comes, but it's so great to see Taylor Colway get the call up. And it's, I took a look at the, I went on fan graphs and I looked at the stats from the last month and these are like the bottom six guys in the, in the, in the order, like the worst six hitters in the last month, four of them here are going back to triple a. So it's kind of sending a message to me that, yeah. okay, if, if you're not going to produce, we'll find people who are at least willing to try. And right. so now you've got people that were developed from within the system. I feel like there's kind of a little bit of Padres, you know, the the farm producing something there's the possibility for that right. i i, I right. like that continuity rather than a bunch of hired guns out there so who knows you, you know and it is kind of a you know the september columns in july right uh, with, with campus coming back and taylor colway and alfonso rivas like it, it's a part of the season where they're not giving up but they're they're trying to spark something they're trying to get some some guys up here to get some playing time like taylor colway we have we really we have campaigned for that guy for the past three years, two years solidly, but really put his name on the map three years ago. And um, they, his round where he was pitching, like the twenty fifth round, doesn't even exist anymore. Right, doesn't even exist anymore. So that's uh, that's really cool. Here's something from AJ Casavell's article today. As for Callaway, he was at the movies Monday night. <laughs> 30 minutes into the latest Mission Impossible film, that's when he got a text from AAA manager Philip Wellman telling him he needed to leave the theater. Shortly thereafter, Wellman delivered the news and Coley was on his way to Toronto. I'm just going to try and soak it all in, do my best, and just get better every day, Colway said. Try to help in whatever way I can. The Padres expect to use Colway in a number of capacities as a versatile outfielder, a solid runner, and lefty hitting, uh, pinch-hitting weapon. And he's done all that. Maybe he can catch the rest of Mission Impossible after after he's done all that. Maybe he can catch the uh, the rest of Mission Impossible. That's hilarious. That's incredible. So I think it's interesting that they bring up Colway and Rivas, two left-handed hitters, both of whom can play first base. And you keep Matt Carpenter on the roster, who's a left-handed hitter that can only play first base and not particularly well. Uh, it, that kind of tells me that we're not going to be seeing a whole lot of Matt Carpenter the next, you know, week or two, at least. No, you know, and, and I tell you, and I thought about this when I was coming home and I, you know, the trade deadline's coming up and Callaway can play right field. He plays a lot of outfield for, for the Chihuahuas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, my crazy tin foil hat thoughts, uh, thought maybe you slide, you know, you, somehow you, you trade, you trade Grish 
and you slide Taddy into center and you put Callaway into right field and you, know, you just kind of ride with that for the rest of the year and, and figure out what you're going to do in the coming uh, 2024 season. But you know what? When we were driving back from Lake Elsinore the other day, we were talking about Grisham. And what I didn't realize was he's been on fire the last month. He's been the Padres' like third best hitter over the last month, playing every day. He's been looking better in the field. So I, right now, I'm on board with keeping Grisham because he's clicking in, in all phases right now. I don't know. I, 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 I come and I go on him. It's like I'm in right. and then I'm out. Then I'm in, then I'm out. Well, that's kind of the way he is. It is the it's very streaky, incredibly streaky. And and sure that a couple of years back when he was hitting what he had how many 17, 20 something odd home runs and was, you know, hitting 240, maybe 250, where it seemed like, okay, he was hitting enough to kind of stay in the lineup, but he was hitting a, he was bopping one every once in a while to kind of like get excited about him. I think it's just, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe stuff that they're training for is starting to work. Uh, I, I think he's a little streaky. I think he's going to come back down to earth. And now's the time when you strike when the iron's hot. Well, um, for the last month, he's hitting 301, getting on base at a 400 clip with the 548 slug. Uh, I, I'm happy to keep that for now. But, you okay. know, who knows? And then there's the, there's the left fielder who's got some trade value as well if things happen to go that direction. Yeah, I maybe they're planning on yeah, I mean, things could go really well. Things could go really poorly. And there's a broad range of outcomes of what may happen between now and the trade deadline. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be madness. Summer well, madness. Summer madness. So right before we go, we, we move on. Did you read anything about what Ken Rosenthal wrote about the Padres? I did. He had a very scathing article. He was pretty much saying the Padres, their, their best option is to sell and sell hard right now. Okay. So yeah, I, you still want to look at this team and see the talent and believe that they can somehow pull it out. And if you're in AJ Preller's chair, you've got to hope for that. You're kind of fighting for your job, right? So yeah. it, 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 it's hard yeah. to look at that as a seller today. Now, if it's two weeks from now and they've lost seven out of 10, or whatever, and right. it, then it's a different story. Uh, but right now, they're still within reach, and they can get on a hot streak and win ten out of twelve, and they're right back, right back on top of the wild card race. I really feel that's the that's probably the route they're going to take. Um, they're they're really hoping to re-sign Soto, and as much as all the outside noise from the national media saying that he's not going to sign, and and some of the kooky Twitter posts you see on on Twitter of friends that know friends that say they know what's going on, which I don't believe in the least um, say that, you know, he doesn't want to go here. He doesn't want to stay here. Um, I think they're still going to try to do that. And you're right. The core of that team is good. And and it's just one of those years where everything we live in the upside down. Uh, one thing I do want to notice, and I'm not a fire Melvin guy. I, I, I think he has very little to do with the performance of the team. And certainly if, you know, if there was a Jace Tingler or, or an Andy Green, he would have been fired by now and it would have been, oh, it's inexperienced manager. I think this manager has really kind of maybe cut this team together um, despite all the lack of performance. But one thing I noticed about him today, just watching the few innings of, of the Padre game before we dropped on here, he looks like he's he, he looks like he's worried for his job. Like, I, I, I you know, I, just the way he's – just his mannerisms and a couple of times they showed him the dugout. And I know I'm getting a thumbnail photograph of him, but just 
He looks worried. He looks stressed. And he does not look like the just normal, stoic, comfortable Bob Melvin that we've seen in the past. Well, I think anybody in his situation would feel that way. And you've got this insanely expensive roster of superstar talent and they're underperforming collectively. And who does everybody point at? They point at the manager. They point at the coaching staff because it's their job to get the guys prepared, put them in the situations to, to succeed every day. Yeah. And, and they aren't. And I, so I, I, I get it. I, yeah. I like Bob Melvin. I, yeah. I mean, in the past, it's always been that there is no experience. When well, you got Bob Melvin, you got Mike Schilt, uh, you got uh, you got Williams over there at third base. You've got Brian Price in the front office. You got a bunch of experienced former managers yeah. that understand how to get this done. They've 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 managed successful teams. They've played on successful teams. I I, I don't know. It's it's yeah. hard for me to point yeah. at that level of the coaching staff. Now you sit you talk about the the analytics, the hitting coaches, the this and that. And yeah, but I don't know. None of us are in there. So yeah. what yeah. what do we know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on. So this just happened up once again, a busy day on Twitter for the summer of madness. Um, Padres first round pick center fielder Dylan Head signed for 2.8 million, a savings of 365,400 under the 25th pick slot value. Well under the, 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 the 25th pick slot. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we were, we were chatting with, uh, with John Connor from Matt Friars and he, he thought that head would go under slot. Um, he's, he said today that this was a little bit more than he thought he would get, but yeah. you know, it's in, it's in range. So that savings of three sixty five four hundred. 400. Um, now they've got some high schoolers at the back end, both on the back end of the second day. Uh, I think in the seventh or eighth round, they took a high school pitcher. And then on the third day, there's a guy they took in the 12th round. Um, so the picks from pick 11 through 20, the first $150,000 of the bonus does not count toward the draft pool. So if you take that $365,000 of savings and you add that 150 to it, suddenly you're at a half million dollars. So if you're a high school pitcher and you're thinking about going off to college X and then somebody puts a half million dollars in front of you, yeah, that's a nice number. You know, 300,000, 400,000, that's nice. But then you get to that half million and all of a sudden that represents something. Um, so I, I, now there's so much more that's going to, I mean, they've got to, they got to sign. They've got what 16 more guys to, yeah. to sign. Uh, but this is a good start. I feel like the first three picks that they made uh, JD Davis, the catcher, and then Homer Bush jr. Who's a, I believe he's a college junior. I think all three of those are going to wind up being under slot picks. And so then you've got money to, to toss at high schoolers later on. Uh, there's a college sophomore that they took in the 11th round. I believe that's in the transfer portal. Um, he might take a little bit of money to pull away from any commitments he may have. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting time of year. I, I love seeing how this whole chess match works, how, where the money's going to go. Yeah. And, and Preller does that so well as he, he picks under good quality under slot guys and saves that money for another pick down the line that, you know, that is heavy on maybe the commitment to a college and, and getting, you know, and signing them and pulling them away from the college. Yep. 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 All right. So, so then go ahead. Yeah. The summer madness continues with all of these mid season roster shuffles. So this time of year, the draft just happened. So now you're going to have uh, in this case, you've got, I think 18 
draftees, they'll, they're going to sign the first 10 rounds for sure, which they, they didn't have two of the picks. So that's eight guys. And then rounds 11 through 20, they're going to sign eight or nine of those guys, maybe all 10. And then on top of that, they've already, uh, they've already signed, I think eight or nine undrafted free agents. All those guys are going to need a place to go. Um, so then you've got guys getting released. You've got guys retiring. You've got other transactions, but there's a lot of upward movement this time of year to make room at that bottom level for these guys to go to the complex. Um, so Jackson Merrill. So these are all the guys that went from Fort Wayne up to double a Jackson Merrill, Marcus Castagnon, right-handed pitchers, Adam Mazur, Ryan Burgert, Jairo Iriarte, uh, and then Gabe Moser went from Lake Elsinore to Fort Wayne. So congratulations to all those guys for earning their promotion. Uh, Merrill started off hot with a triple in his first at bat. He's continued to hit. Castagnon's yep. had some nice hits. Uh, Mazer already his, has he made an appearance yet? I I don't know if I've, we've seen him up there yet. I want to say he he did, and I might even had it down here in the affiliate rundown that we're not going to use. Um, okay. So a, a few a few other notes. So Kirvin Perchardo was transferred from Double A to High A Fort Wayne. Uh, Ray Patrick Ditter went from Double A up to Triple A El Paso. He's he's listed as an infield outfield. He's been playing a lot of shortstop in Double A, but he plays wherever. Um, if the name sounds familiar, they signed him as a minor league free agent a couple of years ago. I think it was a midseason pickup. Um, so he's a familiar name. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, Pedro Castellanos and Blake Setterland, right-handed pitcher, uh, have been released. Yeah. Those two guys were uh, minor league free agents. So they thank you for your service. Um, maybe they'll get picked up by another team, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how it goes in, in minor league baseball and, and the, the summer madness of roster shakeups. What I wanted to mention before we moved on, and I can't remember who else, but having Hero Iriarte come in relief. Um, and who else was it? Do you remember who else was it that that came in for relief earlier this there week? There were three guys. Actually, I think it might have been Mazer that <clears throat> that pitched in relief. There yeah. were three guys that were starters prior to, and then made a relief appearance. Somebody pointed that out that maybe they're taking a look at some guys to see because the bullpen needs help at the major league level. Yeah, I I I think that's a little too early because of both those kids where uh, the Mazer and Iriarte are both solid starters. Um, maybe it was just a kind of funky day, and that's the way it worked. Maybe that's how they want to integrate those guys into Double uh, A. But I would certainly keep them as starters. But you know, interesting. I, I found well, it very interesting. And you're also shuffling up everybody's schedules. Like uh, Robbie Snelling's pitching today, he was the Friday pitcher in Fort Wayne, correct? <clears throat> yeah. So you have to mess, you know, you have to manage their, their bullpen, their, their off day routines um, to get them back into sync wherever their start is going to land. Yeah. So then going on to El Paso. Yeah. So Ben Gamble was acquired from Tampa Bay and assigned to El Paso. This one kind of went under the radar. Uh, He's a major league veteran played for the Mariners and the Brewers first base outfield. Well, he's been primarily an outfielder, but Tampa had him working at first base this year. Um, Lefty bat. That's an interesting one. A guy with a lot of major league experience. Yeah. Uh, he's on the 40 man. And then Oscar Merchado uh, was signed. He is an athletic center fielder. Uh, came up with the uh, the Guardians, I believe. So that was an, an interesting pickup. That was one of those that like somebody saw it on the transaction log. I, I don't even think it was on the transaction log. I think it was that the, the, the Chihuahuas announced their starting roster one day. And everybody's like, wait. Oscar Mercado, where'd he come from? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think 
And then moving on, uh, and then automatically starts contributing, uh, con- contributing. Oh yeah, yeah, he had a great game in his first game. <laughs> so right-handed pitcher Angel Sanchez was placed on the injured list. Uh, friend of the podcast Matt Waldron was optioned back uh, to El Paso from San Diego. Outfielder Ray Patrick Diddler transferred from Double A to El Paso. Robert Suarez uh, is still with El Paso. Well, was transferred from Lake Elsinore up to El Paso. We've talked about that a little bit. He's struggled a little bit in a couple of those uh, rehab outings. Not a big deal. We don't care. We just want him to come off the mound safe. And then Preston Tucker was assigned to El Paso on MLB injury rehab. Meaning, once again, there's another guy that has, what, 20 days to rehab, and then they got to figure out what to do with them. Right. And that was an interesting one because they selected his contract and then assigned him, they, they put him on the injured list yeah. with uh, plantar fasciitis. Um, he's been having a pretty good year in AAA. Uh, he has just a sniff of major league experience. Um, but let's see, I'm looking for his transaction log. He was assigned to the IL on uh, June 8th. Yeah, they selected his contract on June 18th, and then on the 14th, they sent him on a rehab assignment, the 14th of July. So he'll have up until, what is that, August, I guess that'd be August 3rd, to make a decision on on where he's got to go because he has no options. Yeah. So as soon as he's done with, with rehab, he either has to make it on the major league roster or get designated for assignment. Yeah, and he is brother of, he's older brother of Houston Astros, Cal Tucker, who's a beast. Right, right. Well, and maybe then one more. Maybe yeah. those same genes are, you know. <laughs> well, and then one thing, when one of the, uh, and they also put Reese Kinnear on the sixty injured in sixty day injured list, not on here. But I didn't even know he was that injured. But certainly he is on the sixty day. That is news to me. Right. Yeah, that caught me by surprise too. I'll have to do some digging and see what I can find because I don't remember seeing anything about an injury for him. All right, so tell um, us about the, the uh, Senate case. This is some big news across all of minor league baseball. So the Senate case has gone final. 20,000-plus minor leaguers to receive a share of the $185 million by late August. This is by Evan Drellick. <clears throat> a year after the MLB agreed to a landmark $185 million settlement, 20,000-plus players are set to receive an average of 5000 to 5500 before taxes, said Garrett Broches of Corey and Tillery. Uh, the lawyer who led the case for the players... From start to finish, the lawsuit took close to a decade. It took 10 years to get them to do this. In that time, they have unionized the minor leagues. There has been an, an incredible amount of um, movement towards making their lives better with pay. And we all know what with the union agreement that we passed and uh, we uh, talked about in the past. Um, my question is, are these going to be former players since this is so old that are these guys are just going to be like, I've gone on with their lives and, you know, are working all of a sudden they get a check in the mail. Like, Oh, here's 15, you know, here's 300,000, $3,000 for, you know, it's kind of like whenever you get like the class action lawsuit in the, in the email, like you can do this if you fill this out. And I've done that and got like three bucks from Facebook. I've got like a hundred right. bucks from another thing. <laughs> you know, that's my big question. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it's going to be something like that. You're talking about 20,000, over 20,000 players. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're aware of the lawsuit. Probably, you know, you get the the letter in the mail saying that you may be eligible for a class action lawsuit, whatever. Uh, but 5000 to $5,500 before taxes <laughs> is nothing to sniff at. I mean, that's, that's at least a, a mortgage payment and then yeah. some for most of these guys. So, yeah. you know. 
I'm, I'm sure some of them have moved on to bigger and better things, but a lot of guys are living humble lives and that's going to make an impact in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been an honor to lead this case for the nine and a half years. For the last nine and a half years, Bruce has said, as a former player, to see the benefits that this case has led to all those past and current players, it's pretty surreal. I always hope that it would be able to leave this game in a better place than I found it. And hopefully that's what I've done with this process. Per the terms of the settlement, MLB has until July 27th to fully fund the settlement. That date represents 10 business days from the effective date of the settlement, which was Thursday. Then as administrator, uh, then an administrator has 30 days from Thursdays to get the payments out. So they've already got a list and those guys are not going to be paid. Yeah. And so we were, you know, Garrett Brogius was gracious enough to come on the podcast with us, uh, spend an episode with us talking about this, you know, all of the stuff that led up to this case. Yeah. Um, and then now I, I would like to think that this case was a large played a large part in the actual unionization of minor league baseball and the improvement yeah. of the labor conditions that, that they've had. So the $5,000 to each of these former players is, is a big thing for them individually, but being able to make that lasting impact on the game moving forward, um, and that's 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 a wonderful thing. So maybe this is one of those things they'll make a Moneyball type of movie about, uh, you know, like an Aaron yeah. Brockovich kind of <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, really, I mean, that was about a class action lawsuit about a bunch of people that were being mistreated and and the underdog winds up winning and and making changes across the whole industry. Um, absolutely. I mean, a, a monument going up against Goliath in a, you know on a stepping stool, like just huge, huge industry in major league baseball for almost a hundred years, having the antitrust um, satisfaction is the only word I can come up with, you know, with, 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 with the way they run their business and the way they treat the, uh, their employees coming up to major league baseball. Um, it, it is monumental and shifting. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you go take a look, go walk into the MLB commissioner's office and take a look around and you're going to be surrounded by some former ball players and a whole bunch of lawyers. Yeah. I the, the, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, he's an attorney. And you go into the front office at Petco park and go look around and all the, all the executives, there's some, you know, attorney or some law school right. somewhere, somewhere in their background. Um, and so for these guys to go up against, a team of lawyers being supported by 30 teams. Each of them have their own team of lawyers. I, what a daunting task this must have been for them to face. Absolutely. And we're glad that it's over. All right. Well, let's kick it on to our Henry Williams interview. We had a good time talking to, to Henry. Um, you know, as I said earlier, real likable guy. I honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about him going into it. You know, look up yeah. some things here and there, but a uh, super personable kid and uh, a, a good story. He's gone through a fair amount just to get just before the draft. Right. And, and his mindset and where he is right now in this season, he is, he knows where he's at and, He's trusting the process. And we could have talked to that guy for another 30 minutes. I think we let him, I think he finally, like, we're like, all right, we gotta go. You gotta go, dude. We don't gotta go. You gotta go about God, maybe about 30 minutes before game time. And we were still just chatting away and get, it just seemed like every time we just kept talking and, you yeah, if you, if you listen close in the background, you'll hear the show starting to warm up. It right. was a Saturday, and so they've got a pep <laughs> band there that does a pretty good job playing different tunes throughout the yeah. – and so they were warming up, and then they 
the open the gates, you hear them announce the gates are open, and then you hear the pet band doing their thing in the background. So we're looking around like there's going to be fans kind of wandering in here anytime. We need to wrap it up. And I've had that happen before in the, in the past where you're like, I'm talking to guys, they've opened up the gates and people are kind of walking by looking at us and like, you know, the, the players starting to like, all right, I, you know, all right, man, I need to get going. <laughs> and uh, anyways, enjoy that. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, we're here with Henry Williams. Uh, Henry, Ironically enough, you pitched last night. Yeah, uh, you started out really well. You struck out the side, I believe, in the first inning. I went, I went first two strikeouts, fly out, and then I did that again in the second inning. Yeah, excellent. How, how did you feel? Good. Um, first All Star break, so um, definitely learned kind of how to. You know, so I, I definitely got tired by the fourth inning, and so I think some of that was not necessarily preparing the right way over the All Star break, and um, you know, just a, just a just a, a learning curve thing. So. Um, I felt really good for the first three innings, but then in Esh, our pitching coach, came out in the fourth inning. He's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, pretty tired right now. So, um, no, I, I felt good going out there, um, and i just excited for a good week of work. So what would you do over the break? Did you have a chance to, to get out, do anything? Yeah, so we uh, a couple of us got an Airbnb in uh, Pacific Beach. Nice. So we were just we were on the beach in San Diego. Um, didn't go downtown too much. Um, didn't really go to the gas lamp area, but... So nice out there, and so I'm from the East Coast, obviously. So my only experience of the West Coast is kind of inland. So getting to the coast and seeing like La Jolla and Coronado was was so nice. So uh, just kind of inspires you to get to San Diego a little faster. So right. you went over, you went over the bridge, and you said Coronado. You guys went over the bridge. Yeah, we went there on the on the last day. Me and Andrew Vail, we went and got lunch there. Um, drove by like the Navy Seal base. Um, got right near the border to, to like the t- near Tijuana. Um, but yeah, so cool. I'd never really, I'd never seen it. So it was really nice to like be, be out there. Nice. Yeah. PB is great. You can, everything's mm-hmm. within walking distance. Yeah. So it's a cool place to hang out. Yeah. We were, and we were, we were like a mile away from the beach. So we were just marinating all day, just, just lying out there, which, which might explain why I was probably a little tired coming, <laughs> coming into, coming into, uh, into this week. And so. what happened in PB stays in PB. For sure. For sure. So yeah. In high school, you played yeah. basketball. Did you play any other sports? But you led it all four years of basketball, right? Yeah. I, so I played basketball. And, and baseball for four years. I played soccer my freshman year, um, but wanted to cut it down to two sports so I could give like a little bit of an off season, give my body a rest. Um, so yeah, I, I, at a certain point, I thought I maybe could have given basketball a shot. Um, then I realized I was much better at baseball, so started to focus on that. That was I mean, my second. Yeah. I mean, these days both sports are like year round sports with yeah. all the training and yeah. camps and off season teams. So that must have been a lot to juggle yeah. coming up. And that and that was a big part of like needing that off season, needing to take the fall season off because basketball was pretty much October to February, and then it was baseball until the end of the summer ended. So um, yeah, just just taking that time to like lift, get get a little stronger. Um, that, that, that was kind of the biggest reason. But I still, like, I, I loved playing three sports. Um, and part of me now still misses just, like, having some, another sport to do. Well, you can still get out and hoop it up a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I know A.J. Preller yeah. likes to do that a little bit. Every time I'm out there, I'm like, I can't blow out my ACL right now. Every right. time every time we're, like, just playing basketball. So I, I try and be smart about so that. So play stuff. horse. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or, like, that, that was actually nice on the beach, just, like, running around on the beach and, like, throwing football and stuff because there's just, like, no impact on your knees, so you're not really worried about getting hurt or anything like that. Now, there's actually a story about Trevor Hoffman. Are you familiar with how Trevor Hoffman's career kind of changed on the beach? No, but why was right over there. I can, I, I can ask him was, later. <laughs> he, was, he was playing volleyball in the offseason, and he something happened. He injured his shoulder, and he all of a sudden lost a whole bunch of velocity, and then he had to lean extra hard on that changeup. Oh. Yeah. Well, 
And then he went yeah. on for another like 15 years, at Hall of Fame career, all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, don't hurt yourself on the beach. No, I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dylan was born. So yeah. National Latin Honors Society. <laughs> yes, what what yeah. is that? That was that's funny. Um, that's <laughs> hilarious. So I in high school, I took I was Spanish. We were required to take a language, and so Spanish, I took Spanish my freshman year, and like it was hard. I didn't really I didn't love it. And so Latin was just kind of like one of the newer electives at my high school. And so I ended up going in it. wasn't all that hard and um, just ended up doing well in it. And so all you really need to do is have a, like a, maintain like an A for like a semester or something like that. And so it's, a, it's not a very exclusive society. I feel like people that study Latin, it's because they want to go into law or something like that. The right? priesthood. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that- <laughs> I like my mom was always told me to take it, always told me to take it because like your vocabulary got better. Right. Um, it was cool. I, I was probably too young to to appreciate it as a as a different language. But uh, speaking about like law and stuff, like I, I thought about that a little bit in college. Like I went the political science route, um, took some classes about like ethics and stuff like that. So um, definitely something that if baseball didn't work out, I probably would have looked into a little bit. What did you wind up studying while you were in college? Political science. Okay. Um, but like within that field, there's a lot of different subfields, and like it, it's it's so broad, and that's why I picked it because I didn't want to focus on one specific thing. So right, and that's kind of how it works with a lot of college majors. Mm-hmm. You kind of start off broad, and then like I'm an engineer, yeah, and wow. so you start off like broad, and then you wind up kind of narrowing down into something more specific. Yeah, right? yeah. So you're a you're a a quarter away or a semester away from getting your degree. Did you? I, get- I'm I've graduated. Yeah. You graduated. Yeah, Graham and I went back this fall. Graham Paul and I went back this fall, and. We had uh, five, I think he might have had six classes. I had five classes left. Um, but I figured once I was in pro ball and once things got rolling, there was no way I was going to stop doing what I was doing to go back. So it worked out well with, like, the TJ and injury and stuff and where I was in my rehab um, that, you know, I could have taken. I was there for two and a half months. So it worked out well, knocked it out, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy that I did that. What? That's really interesting. So what? what what interests you in political science? Are you thinking policy later on, you know, after your pro career? Well, so I, when I got there as a freshman, I didn't really know what I was going to do at all. And so I just kind of wanted to try a bunch of different things. So I tried econ. wasn't really for me. Um, Statistics. Yeah, yeah. Like some people did, like, yeah. So, like, I took a stats class as part of the political science major. And, like, that was, like, I guess I wasn't really math-brained. I was better at, like, reading, writing, and, and kind of just learning to, like, debate and talk and stuff like that. So... Um, but again, as I said earlier, the, the biggest thing was like, it wasn't so specific. It was very broad. I took a wide range of classes. Um, and then the plan was always baseball, like get drafted and, and be where I am now. Um, but yeah, like if I think once, once the baseball is over, I, I have a lot of options for myself in terms of what field I can go into. So growing up in Connecticut, grew up a Yankees fan. Yeah. yeah. So was Jeter your guy or were you? hundred percent. Yeah. Like I have, I had pinstripes on my wall when i was in, in elementary middle school my in our first house then we moved and that got taken out but i had jeter posts posters everywhere like i got all the yankees bobbleheads i was a i was a huge yankees fan growing Did you up you go to a lot of games you ever have a chance to meet any of the guys no i didn't get to meet any but I, yeah we were we were probably 45 from the stadium so i'm in southwest connecticut right there quick train ride so um yeah i mean i got to go to the world world series game in 09 it was i think it was game three um but yeah, I, I love the Yankees growing up, and uh, getting to a point now where I'm starting to root for the Padres for, for, over the Yankees. Good, um, good, glad yeah, to hear that. Yeah. Well, so Donovan's a chef, and in 1998, 
he was working in the restaurant of the hotel where the Yankees were staying yeah. when they won the World Series here. And so he watched the whole team come in with the trophy and celebrate right in front of him. I know that kind of broke your heart, Donovan. It, it did break my heart, and it may be a long-life uh, Yankees hater. I married a Met fan <laughs> from, from New York. So, um, But, you know, these days, the Yankees are really hard to hate. They're, there's a lot of likable guys on there in yeah. the squad. Yeah. Well, so my, my dad was a huge Yankees fan growing up, and my mom grew up in Atlanta, so she's a huge Braves fan. So they're always like, if, you, if I come back and play on the East Coast, they're like, you have to be a Yankee or a Brave. Those are, those are my only two options. I don't know, that's not always how it works, No, though. exactly. Yeah. That's not necessarily my choice, always. So I saw that when you were a freshman in high school, you felt that you you believed in yourself, that you had what it took to play at the next level. Kind of what gave you that confidence at that young age? Um, it honestly just started, like, that summer. Um, I, like, I didn't – I wasn't on, like, a big, like, summer ball team. I didn't really go to any of the – perfect game lake point stuff i was kind of under the radar my whole time like my whole high school career um but once i, I remember it was it was one start towards the end of my freshman summer there were some schools there some acc schools there and, and they showed interest so that was really the point where i was like all right let's let's do it let's focus on on baseball um and then pretty much all of sophomore year and sophomore summer was about getting more interest from schools um i ended up getting my duke offer from a camp like duke was always a school i wanted to go to so um I wanted the offer. I wasn't sure. I, was, I wasn't like 100% set on going there. But once I got down there, like loved the campus and everything like that and ended up committing right before my junior year. So why Duke in particular? Was it because of the academic program? Or that was a huge part of it. Um, I also like, I loved Duke basketball. Um, oh, yeah. Just like, yeah, like I liked the name Duke. I, like, I loved the aura of it. Um, Did and you then, go to a lot of games at Basketball games while you're there? Yeah, yeah. I went to. I actually got to go to Coach K's. That's got to be insane. It's it's pretty unbelievable. Like the the production value of it for being a, a college sport, and you know it's it's not like you're in an NBA arena. Like you look at like uh, University of Kentucky. They there's their seating basically the same as like an NBA arena. Duke's like a high school stadium. It's uh it's not like over the top. It's old school. There's all there is, is like that one big jumbotron in the middle. Um, but it's sweet. It is so cool. It's, were, it's, were you one of the Cameron crazies down in there? Uh, yeah, I was. So that was where I was for the for Coach K's last game. But oh. most most of the time, um, we were on the other side because like athletes got tickets because like we didn't get an opportunity to, to wait in line. So we got like we had like student or like athlete reps who could like talk to the athletics department and get us and get us tickets. It's actually being in the student the Cameron crazy section sucks. Because you just you have to stand the whole time. You don't get to sit down. It's oh, exhausting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a I job hated, to do. I hated it. I liked. I liked when I could actually sit and enjoy the game. Forgoes UConn to go to Duke. Yeah, I mean. Wow, they might kick you out of the state for that, man. <laughs> well, it's funny. I remember. I remember. I remember my UConn visit, and they were they were trying to sell me on Connecticut. They're like, you need to stay in in state. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, I kind of want to. I want to get down in the the south and play some some warm baseball. So, um, I was I was pretty set on on. Going to the southeast for baseball. Warm baseball yeah. is a really yeah. good answer. Yeah. Did you have any pro interest as a high schooler? Do you think? Only from the Padres, really. Oh, I, really? Yeah. They were in contact with you all the way back then. Oh yeah, that that's. I think so. Even with my limited play in college due to injuries and stuff, the reason I'm I'm in San Diego or in this organization is because of the legwork that Jake Koenig, the area scout, did as as I was a high school senior. So it was, wow. I was I was going to either be a Padre or like or a couple other teams were interested, but. Um, they were on me in high school, followed me in college, and uh, it worked out for me based on kind so of... So you yeah, get to college, yep. and then COVID happens, and mm -hmm. injuries, and take us through that whole timeline of what yeah. happened between high school and draft. Yeah, college was definitely tough, um, playing-wise, and just, well, 
I wasn't playing, so that, that was kind of the tough part. Um, got there, yeah, graduated high school 20, 2019. That first spring, I actually got hurt my first game. First game of college, first inning, elbow started to hurt. So, thankfully, not thankfully, but we got shut down, so I, I didn't really miss as much time. I, I missed three games, but compared to like other kids in my draft class, I didn't miss a lot of time because everyone was missing kind of that whole year. Came back sophomore year, didn't get a surgery or anything, um, and I just rehabbed, rehabbed, rehabbed. And then um, I'm trying to think how many starts. I made like six or seven starts through 35 innings, kind of started to feel elbow flare-up again, rehabbed again, went to my junior junior fall, uh, was, throwing re- like, was throwing pretty hard, was throwing a lot harder than I had before. My stuff was kind of really, really where I wanted it to be. Um, and so I was super excited for that year. Ended up getting hurt twice in the fall and, and saying, you know, there's a, there's an issue here. And ended up getting the, the reconstruction, the UCL reconstruction. Um, so, yeah, like there was I, I haven't thrown a full season since I was 17. So that's that's really been the biggest thing this year is just, you know, staying healthy and, uh, and appreciating my time out on the mound. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time... You know, every time we talk about you pitching in the game, and yeah, the what what happens in the box score, what happens in the game is important. But yeah. the fact that afterwards you're healthy, mm-hmm. you feel good when you go to sleep, you wake up the next day feeling all right. That's the important part. So, like as far as setting goals this year, mm-hmm. do you have any goals outside of just stay healthy and make it through the season? That's like uh, that's the biggest one, and it's it, there's not there's not a lot of distance between the second most important thing. But that is like that is the most important thing. Um, you know, like obviously, you want to see have good results. You want your stuff to be good. You want to have everything, but also understanding that I have to be patient, and uh, everyone kind of progresses from this injury and this, um, you know, rehab differently. So, as long as you know the body feels good, the the mechanics look good, and um, kind of the movements are clean on the mound, that that that'll translate as I continue to get more and more healthy. So, uh, you know, as long as I can stay healthy, that's absolutely the biggest thing. But you know, just you know, competing in zone, um, getting the shapes right, but understanding that as time goes on, as I get older, as I get stronger, as I get healthier, um, the stuff's really going to start playing up. So, so, so we, had, we we skipped over draft day. Yeah. What was what was the whole draft day experience like? Did you know that the Padres were going to pick you? Were there a few teams? Yeah. Where were you? What happened? Yeah. So you never really know, and it was such a my my year in terms of like UCLs and, and TJ was really weird. There's a lot of there's like six or seven top guys who, who had the surgery, including Dylan Lesko, who we ended up taking the first. So, you know, we didn't really know how teams were going to value that, how, you know, how you're going to compare the elbows. And it, the first day of the draft was like the worst, like, cause I, I thought I had a chance to go maybe in the second round. And you look back at other drafts, like, Oh, it's like, you're trying to make it free agency when it's not, you're trying to like say, Oh, this kid did that. This is how much money he got. And this is where he went in the draft. You're trying to do that for like five, five drafts prior. Um, but so, you know, I, I wanted to go in the second round. I, I, you know, everyone wants to go higher. Um, so I thought I had a chance. And then the phone started ringing right after day one ended. So um, I had a good idea uh, before day two started that the Padres would take me. Um, but it was kind of a game of, you know, two, two of the three people who make the decisions are on board. We're just waiting for the third person to agree and uh, kind of find out, found out a couple seconds before the pick was in. So it was definitely stressful. Um, but once, once the pick was in, like I was... You know, I just turned into. I'm, I'm grateful to, to be here to, to go to this organization and, and to go where I did. So, did you have like a party at home? And oh your God, family? No, no, Were you out was, on the golf course? No, what were you doing at the time? I no, it was just me and my family. Like I, I didn't need other people around. I, I was, I was stressful. Yeah, I, I didn't. No one, and, and we talked about that. Like if I was, uh, if I was a 
lock, no doubt, day one, top 20 picks, like, it's a different conversation. But when, when there's so much uncertainty, you don't really want to have to be, like, around people who, who haven't been a part of the whole journey. Right, right. Okay, so you got picked in the third round. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's pretty good money. It's not one. It's not one one money. Sure. But it's pretty good money. Yeah. Did you buy yourself one thing? No, not not yet. I got my mama. I got my mama a wallet for Christmas and my dad a pair of cowboy boots. Um, I got some shoes for myself, but like, I, I've I've had a car. My mom, my mom and dad got me a car when I was in college. I'm gonna drive it. All right. Until all right. until that thing breaks down, or I'm a you know making league minimum. Um, and right, and you'd say you didn't take econ. That's pretty smart thinking. <laughs> no, that's yeah. I, I mean, no, yeah. I haven't. I haven't really done. I don't really need anything. Like like right now, especially not really having a, a home base. I live out of a suitcase, and I, you know I could be, you know, they could tell me to pack my bags and go somewhere tomorrow. So, um, just trying to limit stuff until I need to until I need to make a purchase. So take us through what you, what you what are your pitches? What do you throw? Uh, right now it's a, a fastball curveball um, change up and so I didn't throw it to change up a ton in college and, and they want me to start using it a little bit more which you know that's just a that's just a reps and consistency thing um, the fastball it's always kind of spun a lot and so now I'm just trying to utilize that spin to pitch kind of at the top of the zone and get get good carry get good vert on it um, and then the goal with the curveball right now is just to have consistent depth with it um, I feel like sometimes what I'll do, like what I'll produce in the bullpen, won't always carry over to what I'll do in the game. So just, and again, that's part of like this year is just learning how to pitch again. And so, and, and, and finding that rhythm, finding that consistency. Um, so those are, those are like with those three pitches, the, the, the big goals. So with the, they've got Rapsodo, Edgertronic, yeah. all that stuff, and then they've got the Hawkeye systems yeah. here in the ballpark. So are you seeing a lot of data about the depth of your pitches Absol- and that kind yeah. of thing? No, that's, that's great. It's, you get feedback on everything you do. Um, you know, in, when you're in a bullpen, you kind of get that, you know, that, um, feedback immediately, but then when you're in game, you're not really checking it. We're not in the dugout, like looking at shapes or anything like that, um, which is nice. So, like, well, because you're thinking about game situations, and absolutely. All this other yeah, stuff. that's what I was about to say. Like bullpen, it's you're working on stuff that's kind of the lab, tinkering with with shapes, grips, and stuff like that. But then you get on the game mount, and it's it's go time. It's, it's time to compete. So you you compete with what you have that day, and then you look back at it um, the next morning, and then you, you make your plan for the week, and then you go attack. Have you had to mess around with the change up, different grips, different yes. different pronations, yeah. no, and all that stuff? Hundred percent. Like I'm almost throwing. It's more of like a splitter than a change up or anything. Like, yeah, if you want, to, like most guys will grab it kind of either there or there, and they'll think about that pronation. I almost grab it like this. I think about throwing like a faux splitter. Almost. So your middle finger is almost right on top of it. Yeah, and so like if you look at it in slow motion, the the index finger as it's coming out of my hand kind of like changes the orientation of the ball. And then I kind of come off with my middle finger to get like this this side spin on it. So that's really the only way I've been able to, to kill spin and create that consistent um, depth and, and kind of run. So um, it's, it's been good the past couple outings. So I'm excited to just kind of keep throwing it and be able to locate it a little bit better. Nice. So who's been working with you on the coaching staff or even the players? Mm-hmm. Who's been helping you with the, that whole? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the coaching has been great. It's, it's the most coaching I've ever had. So, and it's, it's great to be, be able to bounce ideas off guys. Talk a lot with like Esh every day. He's the pitching coach here. Um, Chuck King is one of our sports science guys. Um, talk a lot with him. But then like Rob Marcello comes in, Jose Rada, and uh, I was out in Point Loma last Tuesday throwing a bullpen, and we had Christian Wonders, Chris Apisachea, two two more sports science guys. Um, Jose Rada was there. Um, pretty much, uh, my, uh, Matt Hancock in um, 
Arizona. He was the rehab pitching coordinator. So pretty much at every stage, I've had I've had a lot of good minds that I could just you know bounce ideas off of. So that the lab that you mentioned in Point Loma is yeah. that that new pitching lab that yeah. I've heard about? Yeah. So I, I I believe we signed like a partnership deal with, with. Is that what we did? Yeah. Point Loma Nazarene, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they have like a smaller lab right now. Um, it's almost like a like a hallway with like a turf strip, um, and it's you know it's a little it's a little tight, but um, they they showed us the the new space and it's sweet. It's like it's gonna be like a double decker kind kind of deal. Have you walked on that ball field? At where? At Point Loma Green. I haven't. I have not. No, it's, I've just been in, like the lab, like in the in the building areas. You hit a dinger, it goes to the ocean. Really? It, yeah, yeah the right. outfield fence. There's a little bit of distance between that, but you look out and you're like, it's ocean. It's yeah. Ocean. Look at Kyle Glazer's Twitter page. Yeah. His his uh, his profile picture is a picture of, of Point Loma. Now That's pretty around. cool. So so where do you so where's your stuff at now? Do you feel like you're 100 percent, or do you still feel like you're working your way back to to full velocity and to full shape of all your pitches? Uh, like. 100% is like a tough question because like I feel healthy when I go out there. Okay. The body feels good. Um, but as I said, like, you know, some guys will, will have the surgery and bounce back and they, their stuff's right back to where it was right away. Some guys take kind of that first rehab season and then the off season yeah. and then they come back a little bit better. So um, I know there's more in the tank uh, right okay. now. And that, but the, the biggest thing is that we're emphasizing just making sure the movements are clean. Um, you know, putting myself into good positions to throw hard. Um, and then as, you know, the body gets in a little bit better shape, the arm gets a little bit healthier, gets more mileage on it, that's when I think it'll really start to tick up, um, you know, back into, like, the mid-'90s, where, where I was before I got there. Right. Yeah. All right. You're still, like, filling out. Yeah. Well, I, it's less filling out than it is just figuring out my body again. And, like, I don't – I don't – and I, I get impatient for sure. Like, I, I forget that I haven't thrown a whole lot in the past two, three, four years. So – um, that, that's really been that's been a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Just refiguring out how to move down a slope, how to how to compete, how to just kind of trust your stuff, and how to pitch when your body's tired. Like you, you can throw bullpens in, in these perfect settings, but then you're you know out on a mound and the, you know there's runner on second and you're, you're throwing 70 pitches and you're tired. Like uh, that's definitely you, you can't simulate that. So it's just been a big learning year for sure. And, and there's you know I'm not there's no pressure. I'm not putting any pressure myself to right. necessarily get promoted or this and that or be a big leader. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a ton and, and um, I'm really happy with where I am. Absolutely. Trusting the process. I think yeah. is what you really want to yeah. say there. Um, you, you, know, you talked about the rehab, but what we hear from everyone that has gone through Tommy John surgery is the emotional angle yeah. is it, the emotional of the, all the uncertainties, all the unknowns. How did you keep a positive mindset going through that? Um, honestly, in my, like, because I spent so much time beforehand, being hurt up and down that was harder for me was being hurt and was being kind of like what's going on with my elbow like once i had the surgery it was like all right i have an answer i have kind of the gold standard of, of elbow surgeries i had a great surgeon in, in new york dr ahmad he's with the he's with the yankees um and then that was just about like that was a process i could easily trust you know like thankfully i didn't have a ton of setbacks in my in my uh i didn't, I didn't have a ton of setbacks in, in my in my rehab and my recovery so um the, the hardest part was, yeah, being away from the game and, and not getting to compete. And yeah. Especially my junior year, like, not being able to travel with my friends on the road. Like, that was certainly hard. But, um, you know, that was – it was more about patience than anything. So there wasn't a whole lot of angst. I had way more angst and I was way more stressed right. about things before when I just didn't have answers. Well, they just opened the gates. Let's skip ahead to the uh, rapid-fire question. Yeah, let's yeah. get, <laughs> get you back there. You're going to get the game in about 45 minutes. Okay. Celebrity crush? 
You know who I so Tate McRae. She uh, she sings. I, I just just started this celebrity crush. It used to be Zendaya, but Andrew Vale plays a song called Ten Thirty Five, probably four times a day, and she's the one who sings it. And I watch the music video. I'm like, all right, this it's her. Yeah. Is that your girl? Yeah. <laughs> do, they, do they do warm up music for pictures here? Do you have a song like you want? Yeah, to yeah. I have. Uh, we we just text. I don't even know who te- who we texted it to, but we I don't even have the number saved. But we texted it, and I have a song by Jack Harlow called they don't love it um i just kind of like i don't know i, I listened to it a lot um and then i was like you know it, it kind of talks it's it's basically talking about how like he's successful because he's addicted and, and loves what he does and i feel like that's what's gonna allow me to, to progress so that's i don't know i just thought it kind of i thought yeah. it, i thought it fit well so what do you do to to relax to kick back you play video games do yeah. you play golf do you fish yeah i mean we try and golf a little bit on, i golfed a lot with robbie um but now he's gone so i need to find a new golf partner <laughs> Um, Snelling, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Snelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah snow. Um, we uh, going down to like the beach was so relaxing. Just, just trying to be away from baseball, and not talk about baseball. Um, you know, here we play games so late that we kind of just go home, sit on the couch, and talk. Um, I'm rooming with uh, Andrew Vale, David Morgan, and Nick Twaits, and we all get along really well. So, um, like, it's fun being back at back at the back of the house, and um, not not you don't have to be doing anything, just being with them, not talking about baseball, just taking our mind off stuff is. Kind of, kind of the easiest way for me to relax. Dude, Thwaites has been here for a while. Like he, did you, you should pick that guy's brain. Like he knows yeah, a lot. Yeah, he's the man. I mean, I he, he kind of came in, and uh, I know he was a little bit bummed about going from Fort Wayne to here, but yeah. But he's, I mean, he's he's been a pro about it for sure. And so, um, the way he he goes about it, he's like doing scouting reports on our couch. Um, so he's he's funny. Um, there you go. No, like he's the man. Like, yeah. I, I, like I, again, it's it's a really good room, and we're and we're all very different. So, um, it, it kind of works. So real quick, hold real quick there. But you were playing MMA video games before you came out here. In, in, in the yeah, um, we heard the, you needed to finish up the game. Got no, I no, that was Henry Baez. Like he was, uh, <laughs> I I suck at that game. Like they they get they get like the UFC like tournaments going. Um, I'm more of like a FIFA guy. Like they, they get the, like Wyatt Hoffman is like undisputed champ in there. Um, well, some people would disagree. He, he's he's probably he's he's probably the best in there. Um, I've never really played it, so I I just get my ass kicked if I if I tried to get in there. So you mentioned your roommates. Who's the best cook out of the roommates? None of us cook. We're, None of you cook. <laughs> it's just like Chipotle and Domino's it's every like day. It's like we eat at the field, and like if we need to put together scrambled eggs, we could do it. But no one's no one's chefing. Because we were just talking to Rosman, and he's like making chilaquiles and making all this stuff for his for his roommates. Hats off to him. I don't. That's that's not that's not in our repertoire. So, if you were a major leaguer right now, who would you most want to face? Who would you want in that box? Uh, I mean, having, like, to be able to walk away from a game and say, like, oh, I just pitched against Shohei Otani or Mike Trout or Tatis or Aaron Judge, that's pretty cool. Like, that, that, I think that's the fun part is, is kind of having the opportunity. And that's what's cool about pitching is, like, you get a chance to be one-on-one with someone, which is not something you get to do a lot in, in sports necessarily, especially in like in team sports. So um, I uh, actually, in spring training, Tatis was standing in on one of my uh, bullpens. And I was thinking like, that'd be pretty cool to face him. Just right? standing in just though, standing not in, swinging. Just standing in tracking pitches. Um, and I hung a curveball and he goes, yeah, that ball is not coming back if, <laughs> I, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm swinging. Um, Savage. No, yeah. So I think just having an opportunity to face the game's best. So, like what comes to mind is you know the best right now is Shohei. Like that'd be pretty cool to face him and kind of see what my stuff, you know, does. Well, just recently, a friend of the podcast, Tom Cosgrove, mm-hmm. just made that guy look like a fool. Did he? he? Did. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Yeah. I uh, yeah, Tom. I got to see Tom, you know, work work a little bit in, in spring training, and uh, 
kind of from the funky sidearm with the with the sweeper. So um, lefties, man, they just they're, they're a cheat code. They're a different breed. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did you collect anything? I know some kids collect rocks. I collected baseball yeah. cards. I, I had like <laughs> yeah, some little kids are always stuffing their pockets with rocks, you know. I had that's funny. I had like I had like Yankees bobbleheads that I would collect, like the 09 Yankees. I think I have every one of their bobbleheads. Um, now I like I love shoes. I'm big on shoes, and so it's a it's an expensive habit. Um, but uh, no, I, I got into shoes right right before the draft, and so um, I'm always looking for like my. You asked my mom, she said you don't need any more shoes. Um, but I'm always looking at like shoes and like what, what's, what's my next pair. Yeah. I mean, Snell, did you talk to Snell about that in the spring training? Or maybe that's something you can do next year. Blake Snell? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he has a whole wall. Of, yeah, he probably he, has a whole wing of his house. That's yeah, I think, I think he's got a little bit more in his bank account to spend, <laughs> to spend on. <laughs> yeah, probably. On, on shoes. Um, but no, he's, he's got some, like, he, he, he has really nice clothes. And the way he dresses is really cool. Like, he, he actually talked to us and said that, like, when he started making money, like he didn't want to blow it on houses or cars, but growing up, he was always into clothes and shoes. So like he had no problem spending on that, which I kind of like, I like that idea. Like I'm, I'm not a huge car guy. Like I, I think clothing and shoes are cool. So, you know, when, when I get to the point where, you know, there's a payday and you know, that that's definitely probably something. Treat yourself with some nice shoes. Yeah, for sure. So you grew up in the East coast, five guys all over the place, right? Five guys are in and out. Five guys. I, I actually, someone asked me that yesterday. Um, and maybe it is because I'm East Coast, but the in and out just doesn't do it for me. Like it's not bad, don't get me wrong, but like I'll tell you, I'd rather go to Five Guys any day of the week. Bigger burger, it's it's, definitely it's, a, it's bigger a bigger burger, and they fill the bag like half full with fries. Yeah, but then it's like twenty bucks. You're walking out of there twenty yeah. bucks out of your hole. And no, like seven thousand calories later. Yeah, yeah. When you get to double in San Antonio. You'll do the Wetter Burger too as well. Yeah. Oh, I've had that one. We had that out in Arizona. I've only had it once, so I don't know if I have fully appreciated it. <laughs> do you have any superstitions? No, I mean. No, no, I, I try not to. Numbers, you, coach, you don't you need, need a certain you color, shoelaces. <laughs> no, or... no I, I guess I'll, I always pitch with sleeves on, but I don't know if that's a superstition. It's more of just a comfort thing. Okay. I like to have, like, compression. Do you use that? I know that there's a sleeve that has the 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 data tracking yeah. information in it. Like We used, in spring training when I was coming back, we used a Modus sleeve, which was I think it was a driveline thing. It was basically like a strap you put around your arm. It was just it was just like a band, okay. um, and it was pretty much tracked the... Uh, the intensity of each throw. Um, I don't know how accurate the data was because sometimes it would say I, you know, exerted more force on 90 foot days than I did on a bullpen. So um, I, you know, I don't really have access to that stuff out here necessarily. But I, I like I like the idea of it. To but just you like sleeves on your arms? Compression, yeah. Is it just the feeling of it, or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've I've done it since I was in high school. I've always, I mean, it, it was just it, that's that's probably like a bit superstition. I don't want to pitch without without my compression sleeves. Okay, do you have a favorite baseball movie? Probably Moneyball. Yeah. Nice. Intellectual in him coming out. He gets on base. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, hey, we really, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk yeah, no to problem. us. I know the fans are just starting to roll in, so. No, I like the, it's good background music we yeah got. it's a good vibe it's a saturday so they've got the what do they call it the the it's not the pep the show yeah. the show is what they call it on saturdays well i i, I used to throw on saturdays and i threw last night after because we changed it up after the all-star break um so I, I mean i like saturdays friday night was fun to throw on like the it was a girl scout night um but it seems like they always have like promo nights on fridays more fans good energy so i'm uh much happier to throw on friday. friday night you lights were, yeah. and you were friday started with duke I never got the chance to do it. 
I saw the, I read the article, and, and they said you were, you were going to be the fire. I was, yeah. That's a huge honor, man. Yeah. You must have been on fire. I, I, I so what sucks is my sophomore year um, against Carolina. That was the game I got hurt. And so we had Friday night game, and then we had a lightning delay. And so we had to play a doubleheader on, uh, no, no, we played. So I was a Saturday guy. Friday, we started the game. There was a lightning delay. Our Friday guy had started the game through two innings, but then the lightning delay shut us down. So we then started to play a Saturday, Sunday, Monday game. So I pitched Saturday. Sunday, our Sunday guy went, and then our Friday pitched on Monday, and then I was going to be the Friday guy moving forward as a sophomore. Um, but that was the game I, I, uh, I hurt my elbow my sophomore year. So I, uh, I was really close to being a Friday night guy in college, but never, never got the chance. But uh, we really appreciate you taking it. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I enjoy this stuff.